Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. And this is Anuel. And this is Murderous Intention. And just to remind you, um, thank you to everybody who listened to our podcast till this date. Um, we appreciate the fact that you guys been supporting us and making our analytics go up higher. Um, thank you so much for listening to our podcast of the last week, The Amber Hageman. Um, and which was the girl behind the Amber Alert. Uh, yes. What is on today's menu for this week, though? <clears throat> well, last week we discussed that case. This week we, um, I worked on the Eileen Carroll Warnos case. Um, but before I get into that, <clears throat> excuse me, in our area, New York area, um, We've been, it's been a big case in Long Island, New York, which is close enough to where we grew up. Um, it's the Gabby Patino case. Um, she was killed. She was, um, what they call, what I call RVing, but it was in a van. Yeah. Going around the country, they were going to, um, they wanted to see all the national parks. That's what the deal was. That was the theme. Yeah, that was the, the theme of their road trip. Um, but then um, Gabby Patino died, and her husband Brian Laundries. Well, her fiance. Her fiance, excuse me. Her fiance um, Brian Laundries kind of disappeared. Like he went home, and then nobody saw him after he got home. So I know that dog, the bounty hunter, is on the look for him. Everybody that's anybody, you know, yeah. that are investigators like that, or bounty hunters like that, are looking for him. So. I can't wait to get that conclusion. You know serious when Dog the Bounty <clears throat> Hunter is on. Oh, yeah. I mean, Dog the Bounty Hunter don't go for little prey. You know, like he wants yeah. a big fish. He's always selling his shows. He wants that big fish. So, yeah. yeah so, but yeah, I'm, I can't, I'm dying to see the end of it. Yeah. Because I can't wait to podcast about it. You know, I'm weird about that. Well, it's, it's not like, it's, okay, because I don't want people to take it the wrong way. No, I, well, you, know? you understand me better than, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because then they're going to be like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, we don't, we don't, we don't get excited when we find out that somebody died. We <clears throat> get excited about the fact of what triggered that person right. to commit this crime, what led up to this. That way, it's information for our public to know what to avoid if you start seeing these signs try to figure a way to get out of that potential right. disaster you know um and that's how i take my life um anytime that i hear about certain things um i become very cautious and um like it was just like um so i moved into a new house and 
we basically live like right next to the highway and my lovely boyfriend tells me why am I going around the house making sure the doors are locked making sure the windows are locked you know and he's like what is wrong with you I'm like listen we live right next to the highway right you know and behind the highway there's a river and a, tra yep. and a train you never know who's crossing over that river you know or hopping off that train and we're the house right there you know that's so funny <clears throat> excuse me that's so funny because you know Riverlink Park is really close to where I live now where yeah. you used to live and I every time I walk it to go to the um, post office or anything like that I'm like oh I wonder if a murder like as you know I, I'm writing now yeah <clears throat> and I'm writing crime stories mostly I'm, I'm picturing like oh this guy that comes in a boat in the summertime the hot girls kind of like to beach and vacation there yeah and he picks them up, kills them, and throws them in Schenectady. Or my mind goes that way. Yeah. And it's funny that you said that because it's kind of the same thing. I gotta make sure because the water's there, the 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 chain is there. You know, so it's all kind of relative. Yeah. What I meant to say about what I let me uh, correct myself. So many people are interested in this case, and the news outlets are going crazy with it. Yeah. And I. Most with most of these cases, there's so many bad information and not correct information that I want to know what happened. Why did she get killed? Was it actually Brian that killed her? It's very suspicious. Most likely he did, but or what happened? Well, he had to have some involvement, right? And but what happened that it got to that point? You know, like you guys were you. They even had a YouTube channel. Um, I forget the name of the channel. But they had where they were talking about their van life and how much they loved it. Mm -hmm. What happened? If it was so good, what happened? You know, so yeah, like what brought it? What led it from A to to K? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's crazy. But yeah, I, I definitely need to see. I need. I need to know the end. You know, like yeah. So hopefully we'll find out soon. Yep. So next podcast. Um, we got in an email from, um, one of our subscribers and they told us about this young girl, which I'm not going to get full details, but I definitely want to go ahead and investigate that one. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know you guys are saying, well, you just did one, a child one, um, you know, last weekend. Um, well, I want to do another one because at the end of the day, these kind of have a, a very um, close attraction with me um, just because of the fact that I am a mom, I do have young kids, and knowing, you know, the different ways people go about this is where it makes your mind more open and understanding to, one, I'm not saying be always on the guard, but always never have it where you have so much confidence in your environment that you're like, Oh, it's a quiet environment. We're good. We're good, she. You know, because you're never, you never know who is next door. <clears throat> and you know? if you and if you've seen our, if you, excuse me, if you heard our podcast, we have more men. Like the Golden State Killer, the um, yeah, yeah. We we focus more on men that we haven't been focusing on women and children, mm -hmm. and there's serial killers in all genres and yeah. you know male, female, and children as well. So 
we have to we have to discuss them all. So yeah, you know, might as well. All right. So this podcast is going to be told by the <clears throat> one and only Annual. Oh wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> did I put you on a high pedestal? I'm like, what the? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna go ahead and send it your way and okay. have it where you tell us about your case. Okay. So her last name is tricky for me to say. It's Warnos. So, but I'm gonna call her Aileen, A-I, Aileen. Um, so Aileen was born Aileen Carol Pittman in Rochester, Michigan on February 29, 1956. Her mother, Diane Warnos, born 1939, was 14 years old when she married Aileen's father, 16-year-old Leo Dale Pittman. And so his birth was 1937, but he died in 1969. On June 3rd, 1954, Eileen's older brother Keith was born on March 14, 1955. After less than two years of marriage and two months before Eileen was born, Diane filed for divorce. Um, Eileen never met her father as he was incarcerated at the time of her birth. Leo Dale Pittman was diagnosed with <laughs> Talk about trains. <laughs> I did say I live next to a train. And it's probably gonna horn again, but um so Leo Dale Pittman was diagnosed with schizophrenia. He was later convicted of sex crimes against children. He committed suicide by hanging in prison on January 30, 1969. Mm -hmm. In January 1960, when Eileen was almost four years old, Diane abandoned her children, leaving them with their maternal grandparents, Laurie and Britta Warnos, both alcoholics, who legally adopted Keith and Eileen on March 18, 1960. By the age of 11, Eileen began engaging in sexual activities in school in exchange for cigarettes, drugs, and food. She had also engaged in sexual activity with her brother. Eileen said that her alcoholic grandfather had sexually assaulted her and beaten her when she was a child. Before beating her, he would force her to strip out of her clothes. That's great-grandfather. That's fantastic. Yes. <laughs> Um, in 1970, at age 14, she became pregnant, having been raped by an accomplice of her grandfather. Wait, like a friend? Basically a friend, accomplice, right. Wow. So. So she has a child out there. Yes. So not only was her grandfather raping her, but she, he had a friend, basically raped her too. And that friend got her pregnant. Wow. These cases are all kind of eerily similar in that they always had problems when growing up. Some, yeah. you know. Okay. Eileen gave birth to a boy at a home for unwed mothers on March 23rd, 1971. And the child was placed for adoption. So she was kind of smart about it. You know, mm -hmm. she was young got raped and instead of boarding it, which I'm not sure if that was 
done back well, then. I think back then it was a no-no. Right, that's what I'm thinking. Um, so she was dropped out of high school, and about the same time that her grandmother died of liver failure. She was an alcoholic, so that kind of seems right. Yeah. So um, when Aline was 15, her grandfather threw her out of the house, and she began supporting herself through sex work and living in the woods near her old home. Her early criminal activity. On May 27, 1974, at the age of 18, Aline was arrested in Jefferson County, Colorado for driving under the influence, DUI. Also disorderly conduct and firing a 22 caliber pistol from a moving vehicle. She was later charged with failure to appear. I wouldn't appear either, honestly, after all that that she went through. Um, in 1976, Aline hitchhiked to Florida, where she met 69-year-old Yacht Club president Louis Gratz Fell. They married quickly, and the, and the announcement of the nuptials was printed in the local newspaper society pages. However, Aline continued involved her involved herself in confrontations at their local bar and went to jail briefly for assault. She also hit fell with his own cane, leading him to gain a restraining order against her within weeks of her marriage. She returned to Michigan, where on July 14, 1976, she was arrested in Antrim County. Okay, so she was arrested in Antrim County and charged with the assault and excuse me, with assault and disturbing the peace for throwing a cue ball at a bartender's head. Wait, wait. Are we talking about like, like the eight balls and all that? Yeah, cue ball, yeah. Well <laughs> I used to play a lot of pool but I don't anymore. But I think the cue ball is that white one. The white one? No, I'm almost out there. Well, maybe she was trying to scatter. Okay, I shouldn't be making uh, jokes. You know what? <laughs> oh, I'm joking. On July 17, her brother Keith died of... I'm not going to even try to say that word, but I'm going to say cancer. It's physio, E-S-O-P-H-A-G-E-A-L. Esophagus? Basically, but esophageal, something like that. Cancer, basically. And basically, that's throat cancer. Throat cancer, basically, yeah. But of course, you know, they want to add these big words. Yeah. And I should have looked it up before I, I said anything. But anyway, we won't, we, okay. won't, we won't go there. And Eileen received um, $10,000 from his life insurance. Yeah. Eileen, yeah. That's, I mean, that's... At a, least he looked out for her. Right. Well, who else did they have? But each other, I guess. Well, is he not man? Well, yeah. No. Um... Elena fell annulled their marriage on July 21st after only nine weeks. In August 1976, Aline was given a $105 fine for drunk driving. She used the money inherited from her brother to pay the fine and spent the rest within two months buying... Is it that? Yes. Oh, it's esophagus cancer. Yeah, but they had it. Yeah, it's also called es esophageal yeah. carcinoma. There you go. Which promote it has you have difficulties swallowing. 
and it's like the cancer is normally it's between your stomach and your esophagus so that's where the food goes down oh yeah so it's like right here in your chest area basically on top of the stomach of your i mean the mouth of the stomach kind of like this area. yeah nobody's seeing us but us but yeah this middle area like it's right it's right probably like right behind your heart if you want to think of it that way mm -hmm. so yeah Okay, I just I just couldn't let it go. Sorry. No, it's fine. Cause I was just gonna let it go as cancer, but it's good that we actually got actually what it was. Um, so she used the money inherited from her brother to pay the fine and spent the rest within two months buying luxuries, including a new car, which she wrecked and short um, shortly afterwards. Great money spent, huh? We learn how um, <laughs> we learn how quickly. Um, how fast cars can go. Yeah, and then you get into wrecks and stuff like that. Anyway, <laughs> on May 20th, 1981, Eileen was arrested in Edgewater, Florida for the armed robbery of a convenience store. Well, she stole $35 and two packs of cigarettes. She was sentenced to prison on May 4th, 1982 and released on June 30th, 1983. On May 1st, 1984, Warners was arrested for attempting to pass Force checked at a bank in Key West. On, on November 30th, 1985, she was named as a suspect in the death of a revolver and ammunition in Pasco County. On January 4th, 1986, Warners was arrested in Miami and charged with car theft, resisting arrest, and obstruction of justice for providing identification bearing her aunt's name. Miami police officers found a 38 caliber revolver and a box of ammunition in a stolen car. On June 2, 1986, Valencia County deputy chiefs detained Eileen for questioning after a male companion accused her of pulling a gun in his car and demanding $200. Eileen was found to be carrying spare ammunition and police discovered a 22 pistol under the passenger seat she had occupied. Around that, around this time, Aline met Tyra Moore, a hotel maid at a Daytona, <coughs> Daytona Beach lesbian bar. They moved in together and Aline supported them with her earnings as a sex worker. On July 4, 1987, Daytona Beach police detained Aline and Moore at a bar for questioning regarding an incident in which they were accused of assault and battery with a beer bottle. Dang. <clears throat> right. She never gets good people to, you know, around yeah. her. She never surrounds herself with good people, apparently. It, it sounds that way. Yeah, definitely. On March 12, 1988, Aline accused a Daytona Beach bus driver for assault. She claimed that she pushed her off the bus following a confrontation. Moore was listed as a witness to the incident. Up until her execution, Eileen claimed to still be in love with Moore. <clears throat> so, from what I read in the book, they separated, but it was like Moore just left. Yeah. yeah you know, so. Okay. Uh, murders. Excuse me. 
Aline murdered seven men with the, in, within a period of 12 months. Um, Richard Charlie, excuse me, Richard Charles Mallory, age 51, November 30, 1989, electronic store owner in Clearwater. Elaine, Elaine's first victim was a convicted rapist whom she claimed to have killed in self-defense. Aline claimed that she was sodomized and brutally beaten after being driven to an abandoned area for sexual request. <clears throat> Two days later, a Valencia County deputy sheriff found Mallory, Mallory's abandoned vehicle. Wow. So I always felt, being honest, I saw her first murder was actually was self-defense. Probably, most you likely, know? yeah. And then it just... I think that triggered her, what we call now PTSD. But I think she probably, from all those years of being sexually molested um, and been treated like a toy, a sex toy for men, you know, it just triggered to her. Yeah, I mean, she was. I mean, in the in the most literal um, sense of the word, she was a piece of meat. Mm -hmm. You know, and nobody. You said, unfortunately, right. Um, Nobody took her serious enough, and nobody um, valued her as a person. It was like, up, yeah. oh, she's pretty. Let me just get what I need and get out. Yeah. So. Which is sad. No, definitely, yeah, very sad. On December first, nineteen eighty-nine, a deputy in Valencia County discovered an abandoned vehicle belonging to Richard Mall uh, Mallory. His body was found December thirteenth, several miles away in a wooded area. Mallory had been shot several times, but found two bullets to the left lung and had caused hemorrhaging and ultimately death. The medical examiner also determined that Mallory had been drinking at the time of his death, though it was not clear whether he was legally intoxicated. Um, Terry Moore and Eileen lived together as lovers for about four and a half years. Moore worked as a maid, while Eileen worked as a prostitute along Central Florida highways. Eileen drank substantial amounts of alcohol drinks when working as a prostitute and at other times. And she also carried a gun for protection. Her grandparents were alcoholics too. Yeah. So it's She's like a... the cycle. Right. Exactly. On December 1st, 1989, after several days working along the roadways, Aline returned to Belosia County Motel, where she and Moore were living. Aline was intoxicated and Moore, excuse me, and told Moore that she had shot and killed a man nearly, excuse me, earlier that morning. She said she, sword, she sorted through the man's things, keeping some, discarding others. Aline said she abandoned the man's car near Armand Beach and left his body in the wooded area. Several months later, Moore began seeing media reports that law, law officers were looking for two women suspected of being involved in a series of murders. Moore became afraid, left Aline, excuse me, left Aileen, that A and E always, and returned to her home up north. 
Florida law officers later contacted her in Pennsylvania and Moore agreed to return to Florida in an attempt to clear herself of any wrongdoing. Moore then tried to extract a confession from Eileen, ultimately succeeding. That's no slow. But I understand. It was either her, it was either Eileen or her. That's kinda how I see it. Yeah. The police didn't give her much of an option. Eileen gave tape confessions to Valencia Sheet um well Valencia Sheriff's investigators. When she first indicated she wanted to talk to law officers, she also expressed a desire to speak with an attorney. Eileen gave take confessions to Valencia's chief investigators when she first indicated she wanted to talk to law officers. She also expressed a desire to speak with an attorney. A lawyer from the public defender's office was summoned, who strongly advised Eileen against confessing both before and during her comments to the law officers. She stated that she did not want to follow her attorney's advice and then made her confession. I have to say that that's not the smartest decision in the world, but okay. The different statements Aline made, however, are inconsistent with each other on major point. In the earliest confession to law officers, Aline said that Mallory picked her up while she was hitchhiking and then later went into a secluded wooded area to engage in an act of prostitution. She and Mallory then began disagreeing because he wanted to have sex after only unzipping his pants. Eileen said she felt Mallory was going to roll her, take her money, and rape her. At this point, she grabbed a bag in which she kept a gun, and then and the two began struggling over possession of the bag. Eileen said she prevailed, pointing the gun at Mallory, and said, you son of a bitch. I knew you were going to rape me. Eileen said that Mallory responded, No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. At this point, Eileen told law officers she shot Mallory at least once while he was still he was still was sitting behind the steering wheel. Mallory then crawled out of the driver's side and shut the car down. Shut the car door, excuse me. At some point he was able to stand again. Eileen said she ran around to the front of the car and shot Mallory again, which caused him to fall to the ground, <clears throat> which he was lying he was lying there. Eileen said she shot him twice more, then went through his pockets and finally concealed the body beneath a scrap of rugs. Later she drove off in the victim's car. Eileen also told law officers she had given more inconsistent stories about what had happened. In one version, Eileen stated she told Moore that she had found a dead body hidden under a scrap of rugs in the woods. In another, she confessed to the killing. Eileen's confession changed considerably in later versions. Warner's later said she had offered a offered to perform an act of prostitution with Mallory and that he then drove to an isolated area. There the two dark the, the two drank, excuse me, smoked marijuana and talked for two for about five hours. 
Aline describes herself as a junk royal. Whatever that means. I don't know. At around 5, 5 a.m., Aline's dis disrobed to perform the act of prostitution, shagged Mallory to remove his clothes, but he said he only wanted to unzip his pants and didn't have enough money to pay her fee. Aline said she then went to retrieve her clothes, but Mallory whipped a cord around her neck and threatened to kill her, like the other sluts I've done. In quotations. He then tied her hand to the steering wheel, Aline said. Just too many inconsistencies with each thing that she's, or each paragraph in this. And then she basically confessed against her lawyer's advice. Which I think she probably could have won or got a lesser sentence if she would have just went with what her lawyer would say. Well, yeah, I mean, you hire a lawyer for a reason, you know, so. Okay, so, according to Eileen's later versions of the case, Ma Mallory regularly raped her vaginally and anally and took pleasure from Aline's cries of pain. Afterwards, she said that Mallory cleaned blood from his... Um, so, Mallory cleaned blood from his penis with rubbing alcohol, then squirted alcohol onto her torn and bloody rectum and vagina. Aline said Mallory eventually untied her and told her to lie down, believing he intended to kill her. Aline said she began to struggle. Mallory, she said, told her, you're dead, bitch, you're dead. At this junction, Aline said she found her purse and removed her gun. Mallory grabbed her hand and the two began fighting for the gun's possession. Aline won the fight, then shot Mallory. Aline said Mallory kept coming at her despite her warning, so she shot him two more times. Aline also confessed that she took some of Mallory's property and pawned it. Some of his property later was found in a rented warehouse unit used by Aline. More than a year later, she took the murder weapon and threw it into the Rose Bay, south of the motel where she was staying at the time. More later showed law officers where to find the gun. Groves in the, groves in the gun were similar to markings found on the, on the fatal bullets through an expert testifying that the particular grooves were fairly common and could be found in other weapons. So it's kind of, not the, you know, it's not like a rare gun. Yeah. So, Aline said that she had began her career as a prostitute at the age of 16. At about age 20, she settled in Florida and began working at, as a highway prostitute at least four days of the week. Her job was dangerous, she said. On some occasions, she had been maced, bitten, and raped by customers. I mean, it's, unfortunately, that's part of, that's part of that life. Yeah. yeah, unfortunately. Um, at the trial, the state was allowed to introduce similar crimes evidence about Aline's alleged involvement in several other murders. These were Humphreys on September 12, 1990. Officers in Marion County found the body of Charles Richard Humphreys, 
The body was fully clothed and had been shot six times in the head and sozo. Humphrey's car was found in Sewanee County. Seams. In June 1990, Peter Seams left Jupiter, Florida, heading for New Jersey. Law officers later found Seams' car in Orange Springs on July 4, 1990. Witnesses identified Tyra Moore and Aline Warnos as the two persons seen leaving the car where it ultimately was found. A palm print on the interior door handle matched that of Aline. Seams' body had never been found. Antonio, on November 19, 1990, the body of Walter General Ant Antonio was found near a remote lodging road in Dixie County. His body was nearly nude and had been shot four times in the back and head. Law officers found Antonio's car five days later in Brevard County. Boris? On August 4, 1990, law officers found the body of Troy Boris in a wooded area along State Road 19 in Marion County. The body was substantially decomposed, but evidence showed it had been shot twice. Spears. On July 1, 1990, officers discovered the body of David Spears. Excuse me, Spears. On June 1, 1990, officers discovered the body of David Spears in a remote area in southwest Citrus County. Except for a baseball cap, Spears was nude. He had died for uh, he he had died of six bullets, wounds to the torso. So it's always the torso, the neck, the back, but always the torso, in some way or another. Usually, torso is the biggest part of your body. Yeah. For you know, most especially with men, for the most part. Um. What is that last name? Carlos. Candon? Okay. Okay. On June 6, 1990, officers discovered the body of Charles Cascadone, Cascadone in Pasco County. The medical examiner found nine small caliber bullets in his lower chest and upper abdomen. Yeah. For the, uh, for the five bodies that were recovered, the bullets all bore similar characteristics. As noted above, the grooving pattern was 1005 fairly common and could have come from weapons other than the one Eileen used. <coughs> A variety of items that once belonged to Mallory were traced to Eileen. A camera from Mall um, Mallory's automo automobile auto, was found inside the rental warehouse unit, which was opened with the key taken from Eileen's possession. Eileen had rented the unit under an alias. Other times when Mallory's car had been pawned or given away to others by Eileen. The trial jury found Eileen guilty of first-degree murder and armed robbery with a firearm. Her penalty phase commenced January 28, 1982. Three defensive psychologists concluded that Eileen suffered borderline personality disorder at the time of her crime, resulting in extreme mental or emotional disturbance. 
The psychologist said her ability to conform her conduct to the requirements of the law was substantially impaired and that Aline exhibited evidence of brain damage. Yeah. Well, wasn't she beaten as a, a kid? Yes. I mean, she was, she was always abused and, yeah. One expert, Dr. Krop, testified that Aline lacked impulse control and had impaired con con cognition. cognition. Yeah. Sounds like she has ADHD. Sounds like it, yeah. Absolutely. Um, Dr. Toomer said that Aline believed she was in intimate danger at the time of the murder and that the remorse she exhibited revealed she did not suffer antisocial personality disorder. This is like so much crap that happened to her, you know. Yeah. Um, the state's expert psychologist, Dr. Bernard, agreed that Aline had borderline personality disorder, but also found that she suffered antisocial personality disorder. Um, Dr. Bernard also agreed that she had been impaired, had impaired capacity and mental disturbance at the time of the crime, but believed the impairment was not substantial and that the disturbance was not extreme. Dr. Bernard agreed there was evidence of non-statutory migrating evidence, including Aline's mental difficulties, alcoholism, disturbance, and genetic or environmental defects. Well, genetic for sure. Yeah, yeah I, I think mean. she has some genetic issues there. Yeah. But, you know, who's us to say when it comes to medical issues? And what's kind of weird is that the doctors don't even know this, and us reading it can, like, yeah, it's genetic. Yeah. Yeah. She was beaten right. as a kid. She was raped. That's an, Rape is not just like um, the physical pain that you got to go through, but it also leaves <laughs> an everlasting um, emotional pain and mental. Hmm. So, and with the fact that she went into prostitution, kind of like ties everything in where that pain continues. Yeah, but, um. It's just now mentally, she's thinking, I have control over this now. Right, and I've heard a lot of cases, um, not all, but a lot, um, that girls that find, that get abused, realize that, oh, I can turn this into my, you know, turn it my way, and they never get away from the sexual act. But they kind of, like you said, they turned it around in their favor. Yeah. And it's kind of it's kind of weird that they do it that way, but you would think that the last thing they want is that, but, you know, weird enough. Okay. In the penalty phase, the defense introduced evidence about Eileen's background. Her parents were divorced when she was born, and her biological father hanged himself in prison, where he was serving time for rape and kidnapping. Her mother abandoned her, and Aline was adopted by her grandparents. However, her grandfather was an alcoholic and later committed suicide. Her grandmother also drank a good deal and died of liver disorder. Aline's brother died of cancer at age 21. Isn't that a terrible history? 
Yeah, but they don't see it that way. Uh, don't see what's right in front of their face. Exactly. Which is normal. It's, it's a normal thing when it comes to these kind of cases, being honest. But then that's why they feel hopeless. Like, mm -hmm. everybody can see what I got, but you guys that are the professionals can't see it. Yeah. So. Um, during junior high, Eileen began exhibiting hearing loss, vision problems, and trouble in school. High IQ was established at 81. In the low, dull, normal range, school officials urged that Eileen receive counseling and tried to improve her behavior by administering a mild tranquilizer. Mm -hmm. Is that, I, I, it sounds weird to me, is that actually as weird as I make it, as I think it is? At about age 14, Eileen was raped by a family friend. She waited six months before revealing that she was pregnant, and her grandparents blamed her for the pregnancy. Her grandfather later forced her to give up the child for adoption. These are great parents, her grandparents. Um, some evidence indicated that Eileen's life with her grandfather was physically and verbally abusive. Eileen left home, but when she tried to return, her grandfather refused to take her back. She then went onto the street and began a life of prostitution and alcohol and drug abuse. Yeah. The state introduced a rebuttal witness as to Eileen's background. Um, Eileen's biological uncle, also her adopted brother, Barry Warner, said that his family had a normal lifestyle and was a straight and narrow family. Can I say BS on that one? Oh, I can say big time BS. <laughs> yeah. Barry acknowledged that his father, at least biological grandfather, laid down rules but was someone who could look up to. Barry said he never saw his father beat Eileen, although the girl sometimes was spanked. And the discipline may have been more tight when Eileen was around 10 years old of age. 10 years of age, excuse me. Barry agreed that Eileen's biological father was abusive and a criminal type. Is he, I mean, I'm guessing he's trying to defend them. Yeah, he's trying to defend the grandparents and make it seem like, no, this is just Warner's acting out on her own. Yeah. She wasn't, you know, like there was no influence that caused her to become this type. Okay, we believe that. Not really. No. <laughs> um, the jury recommended death by a vote of 12 to 0. Right. The, the trial court found five aggravating circumstances and one migrating factor. Then, then sentenced Warner to death on the murder charge and then years of um, for the armed robbery. At the first you mean age, ten years? Huh? You meant ten years? <laughs> you ate the you ate the ten. Oh wow. One is the death on murder charge and ten years for the armed robbery. Yeah, why did I say one? You know what? I give up on this. Don't <laughs> you doing good. Hi guys. As a first issue, Eileen argued that certain information and documents were withheld from her during pretrial discovery, contrary to the rule of law in Richardson v State. And it's progeny? 
Meaning that Ali's Ali Aileen contends that she was not told that law officers had interviewed and taped a con conversation with Jacqueline Davis, Valerie's girlfriend. Aileen believes that this testimony would have established a prior violent disp disposition toward women when Mallory was in his late teens. Sounds like uh, information that they should have known about. It would have been valuable, valuable in her case. Right. The record, however, significantly supports the conclusion that Davies' name and her tape statement have been furnished to Warner's original defense team within the time limits of the Richardson's rule. In any event, the trial court allowed the defense to pro uh, proffer Davis' testimony. Other than hearsay, Davis stated that to her personal knowledge, Mallory always had been gentle toward women. Moreover, after the proffer of Davis' testimony, the defense chose to rest its case and not call Davis to the stand in the presence of the jury. This happened even though the trial court said it would permit her to testify within the requirements of the evidence of, uh, of the evidence code. We conclude that there was no actual discovery violation with regard to Davis's testimony, and hence there was no need for a Richardson hearing. On a relevant point, Waters argues that law enforcement witnesses brought to the witness stand notes outlining their recollection of the events surrounding the murder investigation. These notes were afforded to defense counsel immediately prior to the testimony in question. Warnos concluded that this procedure always violates Richardson. We find that it does not. The notes in question constitute the kind of reports or summaries mentioned in State B. Galipsy, which are not discoverable unless and until they actually are used to refresh a witness memory at trial. One is also complains that she was not afforded a proper pre-trial discovery regarding evidence that state intended to introduce pursuant to the rule of law establishing William B. State. Okay, so um, there were so many appeals and I'm going, to say, I'm going to call it defensive moves that really don't pertain anything to it pertains to the case if you really want to search that but it doesn't really pertain to the podcast and what actually happened to her yeah. and all that well it doesn't change any of the outcome because it right. still led to the same thing it led to the same you know? correct so instead we're going to go um, Eileen was incarcerated at the Florida Department of Corrections Board Correctional Institution Death row for women, then transferred to the Florida State Prison for execution. Her appeal to the U.S. Supreme was denied in 1996. I think that wrapped it all because everything that she did was ultimately denied. Yeah. You can't go any higher. Yeah. In a 2001 petition to the Florida Supreme Court, she stated her intention to dismiss her legal counsel and terminate all pending appeals. Saying, I killed those men, she wrote. Rob them as cold as ice, and I'll do it again, too. There's no, there's no chance in keeping me alive or anything because I'll, I'd kill again. I have hate crawling through my system. I am so sick of hearing this, this she crazy stuff. 
I've been evaluated so many times. I'm competent, sane, and I'm, and I'm trying to tell the truth. I'm one who seriously hates human life and will kill again. While her attorneys argued that she was not mentally competent to make such a request, Eileen insisted that she knew what she was doing and a court-appointed panel of, psych of psychiatrists agreed. What's, what's a better word than her own voice? You know, yeah. her own statement, I should say. Well, you get tired of it and then you're just like, you know what? I kill them. I might as well just, you know, she's she's done with all this and yeah. she's done with everything. She'd rather, um, sadly, just end it all. End it, yeah. You know. And I would say, when so many times we hear they get they went to death penalty into the um, what's it called, death row, mm -hmm. but then they're still alive ten years later because appeal, 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 appeal. Yeah. Until they until the Supreme Court says, no more, we're done. Yeah. So, <clears throat> in 2002, Eileen began accusing prison matrons of tainting her food with dirt, saliva, and urine. She, uh, she said she had overheard conversation among prison personnel trying to get me to get me so pushed over the brink by them. I wound up committing suicide before the execution and wishing to rape me before execution. She also complained of strip searches, tie handcuffs, door kicking, freaking window checks, low water pressure, mildew on her mattress, and cats calling. In this case, and a pure hatred towards me. Eileen threatened to boycott showers and food trays when certain officers were on duty. In the meantime, my stomach's growling away I'm taking showers through the sink of my cell. Her attorney stated that Miss Warners really just wanted to have proper treatment, humane treatment, until the day she, she's executed. He added, she believes what she's written. In the weeks before her execution, Eileen gave a series of interviews to Broomfield and talked about being taken away to meet God and Jesus and the angels and whatever is beyond the beyond. In a final interview, she once again char uh, changed, uh, charged that her mind was tortured at BCI and her head crushed by sonic pressure. Food poisoning and other abuses worsened. She said each time she complained with the goal of making her appear sane or to drive her insane, she had also turned on her interviewers. You sabotage my ass, society and the cops and the system. A rape woman was executed and was used for books and movies and shit. Her final on-camera words were, Thanks a lot, society, for railroading my ass. Don Parkins, a childhood friend of Warner's, later told Broomfield that her verbal abuse was directed at society and the media in general, not a hand specifically. So I he actually saw that that interview. Yeah. Yeah. It like at one moment it's like she's all she comes in, you know, very relaxed, very calm, and then it just like little by little starts heating up and heating up and heating up, and yeah, it goes crazy. And it's always, I mean, most of the time, 
the person that's doing the interview knows that the hatred spewed or the whatever I'm going to call it hatred. The hatred spewed is not really on them, but on society and media and you know. Yeah. Which is you know like, yeah, she's not talking about me. She's talking about everything else but me. Okay. Ex um, one of the executions took place on October 9th, 20, 2002. Excuse me. She declined her last meal, which could have been anything under twenty dollars, and and opted for a cup of coffee instead. Uh, question. What? You can have anything you want at your last meal mm -hmm. under 20 bucks. You would think that steak for layman, you know, like you want the best of the best. But it's only under 20 bucks, you can't get none of that. <laughs> See, I, I'm, right now, I, and I think it's just because I'm hungry right now. <laughs> I'm really thinking about that impossible burger. Leave me alone, I'm a fat ass right now. <laughs> I didn't say anything. It wasn't me. <laughs> I mean, you would think, and of course it's, you know, it depends on the prison you go to, you know. Yeah. If it was, uh, what's her name? I forgot her name. Anyway, I'm not going to say it. Yeah, if it was a rich person, yeah. they probably would have got more than 20 bucks. Say it that way. Okay, so her execution took place on October 9th, 2002. Oh, I'm sorry. I said that. Yeah. Her last words were, Yes, I would just like to say I'm sailing with the rock and I'll be back. Like Independence Day with Jesus. June 6th, like the movie. Big mothership and all. I'll be back. I'll be back. She died at 9.47 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. She was the 10th woman in the United States and the second in Florida to be executed since the 1976 United States Supreme Court decision restoring capital punishment. Um, after death, Eileen's body was cremated and her ashes were spread beneath a tree in her native Michigan by her childhood friend, Don Bakins. Eileen requested that Natalie Merchant's song, Carnival, be played at her funeral. Oh, that was nice of a friend. That was really nice of a friend. Yeah. Like, my 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 friend's a serial killer, but I'm you know we're still friends, you know. Okay, because if you look at it, there is there is a logic to why she became who she became. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, forgive the little snorty noise right now because one of my friends she decided she was just gonna come in on the podcast, and I guess she's gonna be opinionated. <laughs> Anything else? No, I think she's done. Okay. <laughs> um, and also, sorry for any of the noises you heard from my children. Um, like I just said, we just moved into this house, and right now um, it is a little bit chaos and high. Um, so, but thank you guys once again. Um, so next week is not yet planned exactly who we're going to do. Um, actually, yeah, it is. We're gonna do the, the one of the. Oh, that email. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm not gonna say who it's about. Yeah. Um, just to keep you guys okay. on You're the suspense. Okay. Get out. About it. Um. And. Get down. Go. So I would definitely say, go ahead and hear us on Spotify. 
on Anchor. Google Play. Google Play. Um, I think we have some other ones out there as well. Um, yeah. And you can visit us on Instagram. Murderous underscore intentions underscore podcast. And on um, Twitter at MI True Cry Podcast. And don't forget our email. Our email. Our email. Lovely email. So our email address is murderousintention21 at gmail.com. Um, anything else? No, I mean, we're, we're, we're seeing the people coming in and, and emailing us. Um, and then we could see the listeners, so which is great. Yeah. We see you know places we never, we never thought we would reach. I'll say yeah. it that way. Like we've just to name a few of them. We've reached UK. We reach Australia. We reach Belgium. We reach um, Israel. So wow. keep coming, guys. Um, and. We would like to hear from our younger um, listeners yes. to know, you know, what cases are do you find interesting? Um, you can always visit our... If you don't feel comfortable with sending us an email, you can always visit one of our social media sites and just leave a message saying, hey, can you do this case? Yeah. You know, or if there is a case that happened in your town and you want somebody to, you know, record about it and talk about it, Definitely drop us a, a hint or leave us some message with that information and we will definitely go ahead and, you know, grab it and see what we can do for you. Yeah, this is just um, episode 11 or 12? 11. I think it's 11. 11. So we're, we're new and there's cases, I know that there's cases out there that we haven't even heard of yet. Or even um, touched yet. Oh, even touch. I mean... Like, there's the big ones, Ted Bundy and all that, but yeah. there's got to be little ones also that are not as popular that people yeah. want to hear about. So, absolutely. You know our social media. You don't have to actually email us, but just a message. You you know, say what the name of the case, and we'll look it up and see if we can do it. Absolutely. So, I think that calls it all for today. Yes. We will definitely see you guys next week. Um, same day. We always put our new episodes on Saturdays hopefully I'm hoping we can be able to get everything situated to go and eventually probably do a live yeah. on our Instagram um, and we're still working on our YouTube, YouTube. channel yeah. it's it's pretty hard when you're you just move so everything's a chaos um, but we'll get it eventually and you know yeah. even if we just do the podcast itself and then put, add pictures we just gotta sit down and get it done that's all yeah. and with the move right now it's kind of difficult to do that yeah yeah um so like i said thank you guys so much and enjoy your night enjoy your weekend stay safe see you next week bye